0: Here we are. We come to First Peter chapter two, and we're going to talk about Jesus, who is the cornerstone, which is an important important idea and concept in the Bible. But it's one that probably raises more questions than it answers. But we want to answer some of those questions today. Uh, was we look at First Peter together. So if you have a Bible, you can go to First Peter chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, but, yet, but you can see the screen, we 'll put it up there. If you don't have a Bible and you can't see the screen, you just have to listen, and I 'll read every word of this to you, and it won 't be a big deal either way. So let 's look at First Peter chapter two verses one through 10. It says, "Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all slander." Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and Peter's going to quote from the Old Testament here, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this is another quotation from the Old Testament, this one has become the cornerstone and another quotation from the Old Testament, a stone to stumble over. A rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you pray with me as we look at God's word together? Father, we are grateful for the sustaining power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We're so grateful that even when the world seems to spin out of control and just seems to descend into chaos, we know that you are on the throne. And not for one moment are our lives outside of your sovereign hand. God, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together in person uh, here tonight to hear your word. And to be together as, as the family of God. So I pray that you'd speak into our hearts. God, you said your word is living and active. May it prove to be living and active as we look at it together tonight. And may we be moved to to what Peter calls us to here, which is to grow up into maturity. Grow us this evening as we look at your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I'm so excited to preach in person. Like, it's the thing about Greg's basement, you know, I've been making more videos in Greg's basement than Joe Biden's been making in his basement, you know. <laughs> But the th- the, and that's the thing. The th- see, the thing is, Greg doesn't laugh at my jokes. Like, he just sits back there like I didn't, I don't know when the joke has landed. And so it's, if it seemed like he just doesn't seem to know when to end this joke and the videos, nobody's laughing. So it's just, that's the thing. It's just so good to be with you guys face to face. So what I want to do with this text is I want to I look at three different things. I want to look at Jesus and how he's described in this text. Because that's always one of the most important things that we can take away from any passage is what is this telling me about Jesus or what is this telling me about God? And then I want to I I see what it says about us and specifically what our identity is and our response that we're called to in this passage. And So let's start with Jesus. I'm actually going to jump uh, over the first couple verses. We'll come back to those at the end. But this is the first thing that you'll see if you have a handout. And I apologize for those of you who, who uh, we ran out before you got here. If you have the handout, the first thing that you can fill in the blanks on there is this. Jesus is the cornerstone, rejected by man, but chosen by God. Rejected by man, but chosen by God. And this comes from verses 4 and following. It says in verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus is described as a stone, which is, is, is intriguing, but there's all kinds of Old Testament imagery that Peter's tapping into. That's why he's going to quote from the Old Testament a couple of different times here. He's a stone, but he's a living stone. And so what you need to know about Jesus, and one of the things that separates him from the founders of other major world religions is that Jesus is alive. He is living. Just because he's described as the cornerstone, don't get it in your head that he's some inanimate object he's alive and living and well he is the ruler and sustainer of the universe and it's so important that he is alive because he at one point in time actually died for you and I but he did not stay dead he rose from the grave and he wrote he came back to life and Paul says that had Jesus not been resurrected then our faith would be in vain and so it is Without a living Savior, our faith is in vain, but we have a living Savior. As you come to him, a living stone. But here's what else we need to know about Jesus is that he was rejected by people. He was rejected by people. In fact, Jesus at one point in time is rejected by every human being, including you and I. Don't fall into the trap that, you know, some of you, you grew up as Christians, you grew up in church, you you think, man, I've just always believed in Jesus. That's great. That's the best way to grow up by far. But there have been times, many times, in fact, daily, there have been times when you have rejected Jesus. Not rejected his offer of salvation, perhaps, but rejected his rule and his reign and his guidance over your life. You've chosen to go your own way, and that is rejecting him as well. But he was rejected by man. John 3 tells us in verses 19 and 20, and this won't be on the screen, so just listen as I read. This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Isn't that so true? that that we often reject the light that came into the world, which is Jesus, for love of our own evil deeds. Sometimes we just don't want Jesus' light in our lives. Sometimes we just want to do what our flesh wants to do. And so he's rejected. And verse 20 says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But his rejection was ordained by God because he was chosen and honored by God at the end of verse 4 in First Peter chapter 2. He may have been rejected by man, but he was chosen by God. And what was he chosen by God to do? He was chosen to be the cornerstone. You see, growing up, I used to play with Legos and I, would, I, would, I had a lot of Legos, I'd just put things, I'd start building things. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't, have, I didn't have the ability to think ahead about what I wanted to build and like the steps I needed to make. So I would just, I would just work with whatever piece was in my hand. And I would just kind of like put them together and like, you know, it never was like all that impressive. Things just kind of, I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this next piece that I picked up? You know, and I sort of just haphazardly built things. But God, when he builds, he builds with intention. And he builds with a plan. And he knows exactly what the final outcome is going to be. But the first step in what God is building is that he lays the cornerstone. He chooses Jesus to become the cornerstone. The cornerstone goes down first. And the cornerstone is, is there to set the pattern for the things that are to come afterwards. This is what Peter tells us. He says in verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, see, this is an Old Testament quotation. I believe this, I think this comes from Isaiah 28, if I remember correctly. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. We don't, we don't make a big deal in our culture, I think, about cornerstones. But in, in other cultures, the cornerstone, is, is, it's, it's the one that draws the attention. It's the one that kind of sets the pattern for what is to come. But it also, it's the most important. It's the first one that goes down, and it, and it holds the glory. And so it is with Jesus. He is the cornerstone. God has chosen and honored this cornerstone. And he, he laid him right where he wants him. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So strange language to speak of a cornerstone. The one who believes in him, this is not a stone, but a person. So the imagery, we have to, we have to, to, to not get lost in this idea of, of, of the stone itself, but realize that what he's saying is that Jesus is what he's going to build his kingdom on. Jesus is what he's going to build his church upon. Verse 7 says, So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And in, in Peter's own words, he says, They stumble because they disobey the word. And they were destined for this. There are really two choices when it comes to your response to Jesus. You're either going to accept Him or reject Him. Those who accept Him have this promise right here. Honor will come to those who believe. Another way of saying accept. To those who believe or accept Jesus, they will receive honor. But those who reject Him, they stumble over Him. They trip over Him. They... they, they, they They fall down over him instead of in him receiving life. But verse 5 tells us that you yourselves, Peter, speaking to believers. 1 Peter is a letter written by the apostle Peter to believers at the time. He said, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now that is A mouthful and a mindful. There's so much to that. But the thing I want you to see here is that that Peter uses the same language as he refers to believers as he used to refer to Jesus. Jesus is described as a living stone, and we as believers are described as living stones. And what is happening with all of these stones? God is building his kingdom with them, he's building something. And like a great architect, he has the plan all figured out. And he knows exactly what it'll look like in the end. And so he sets the cornerstone. And then he calls other people to become, along with Jesus, living stones, pieces that he's going to use to build his kingdom. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house. He's building us into a spiritual house. What a what a fantastic image. You're being built to be a holy priest, and we'll talk about that when we get uh, to the next part, part of this passage. So, therefore, if that's Jesus, if Jesus is the cornerstone, now let me, let me try to, just, in case there's any muddiness in that idea, the imagery of cornerstone, let me just try to clear some of that up before we move on. Jesus is the first one. He went before all of us. He is the, the one who receives the glory. He is the one who has paved the way. He is the one who has set the pattern for the rest of the building that God is building. We come after him. Jesus having, having established the way, now our, our identity, this is on your handout, our identity is found in who he has called us to be. All right, so Jesus, he's our cornerstone. He's the one, he's the beginning. He's the preeminent one. He's he's the one who did it all, and he's brought us in, and our identity is found in who he has called us to be. And this is how Peter describes it in verses 9 and following. Actually, let me take these one by one, because I already read this whole thing. The first thing he says that we are is a chosen race. A chosen race. Race is a big deal right now, if you haven't noticed. Everybody's trying to figure out race and what are the implications of race and how do, how do we deal with different races and are there different races or is there just one race? And, and, and then it, here's Peter. He says we're a chosen race. We're a chosen people. He's called us chosen. He has, he has picked us to be a part of the race, the community, the people group that he is building. And then he says, "We are a royal priesthood." I love this because Peter says this to all believers. For the last 2000 years, a lot of people within the church have gotten priesthood mixed up. There's what Larry Osborne calls the holy man myth that if that there are certain people who are chosen by God to to be the 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 step in between people and god and what what peter says here is that all of us are part of the royal priesthood And it's even described earlier in how we do that in verse 5 where it says we're being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What in the world does that mean? Well, that can mean all kinds of things. It means your service to God. It means that you participate in what he's doing. Whatever, whatever gifts or abilities or things that he's called you to do, you do those for the glory of God. We were out here this afternoon uh, setting up, and Doug has just been, from the very beginning of Redemption Church, Doug has been as faithful and as committed as anybody. And I was thinking about this after, after we got done setting up, like, that's, and, I was, and I was thinking about this passage, I'm like, that's Doug doing what God has called him to do. He's, he's offering spiritual sacrifices in the form of setup, like he's just always there, he's always willing to work, he's always willing to come and lend a hand. That's what God has gifted him to do, that's an ability, what has God gifted you to do? You've got to figure that out, where do you, what piece of the puzzle are you going to play in the church that he's building? You know, for Greg and the worship team, those guys, they have gifts, they have gifts with instruments, they have gifts with their voices. Uh, I get to get up here and do this. This is one of the parts that God has has called me to do. Uh, All of us have a part that we're playing, and all of those are spiritual sacrifices, according to what we're talking about here in 1 Peter. These are spiritual sacrifices, and they're acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were very specific, and the people who offered them we're very specific people. You actually had to be from a certain family, a certain tribe in Old Testament Israel to be able to offer sacrifices. Sacrifices were chosen very carefully. If it was a lamb, it had to, uh, for certain sacrifices, th- these lambs had to be completely perfect. Nothing wrong with them. No blemishes. Nothing that you could see that was wrong with them. And, and then those sacrifices would get offered in very specific places according to very specific rules. And now, and if, they weren't done, and if it wasn't done according to that what was prescribed, it was unacceptable. So what Jesus has done is he has made our sacrifices, our offerings of service to God, acceptable through his blood, through his offering of sacrifice. Through the one sacrifice, Jesus giving his life, all other sacrifices, the ones that we do day in and day out as we live our lives for him, become acceptable. It's amazing. It's amazing. You are part of a priesthood, what's called the priesthood of believers. A week and a half ago, my stepson Chase, 19 years old, found out he had cancer. I did not call all of the pastors that I could think of to pray for him, I asked you guys to pray. Because I believe that we as believers are, are, are exactly what is described here in First Peter, a royal priesthood, that your prayers are just as effective as my prayers or any other pastor that I could call on. I called on you to pray because I know that's how God has set up his kingdom, that all of us have direct access to God. And I don't mind. I mean, you, you, please ask me to pray For anything that you want me to pray for. I'm happy to do that. But don't think for one minute that my prayers are better or more effective than your prayers or the person sitting next to you. We have all been, if you'll allow me to use this language, I don't even, uh, uh, I'll just use it. We've all been ordained as priests in this priesthood. We've all been given access to God and we've all been commanded to offer these sacrifices, the sacrifices of a life lived in obedience to Him. I want to thank you for praying, by the way. And so far, it's been all very good news. Uh, We're very encouraged um, by everything they've told us so far. Right now, we're looking at a very good prognosis. If that changes, I'll ask you to pray again. Because I believe that God hears your prayers the same as He hears mine or anyone else's. Then he says, so we're still under this identity. So we talked about Jesus and who he is. And now we're talking about who we are. Our identity is found in who he has called us to be, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation. That's a strange concept to us because we think of ourselves first as Americans. And we are. We're Americans on the earth, right? There's there's no reason to change that or undo that. It's a, it's a great thing to be. It's a blessing to be an American. But we're, we're a part of a more important nation. You have a more eternal nationality, and that is within the nation that God is building. The nation that he is building, which is made up of anyone and everyone from any place on the earth who comes to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're part of that nation. And our primary loyalty should be in the context of that nationality, not wherever you're born on the earth. I know we think of ourselves first as Americans, but let's try to think of ourselves first as part of God's people, a part of the race, the priesthood, the nation that he is building. Peter goes on to say that we are a people for his possession God created you, he chose you, he saved you because he wants you. Think about that for a minute. Think about what it means to be wanted by God. That he wants to be with you. That he wants you to be part of what he's doing. That he wants you to be part of his family. That he wants you to be a part of the kingdom that he's building. That's unbelievable. Some of you might feel like nobody wants you. Some of you might feel like some of the most important people in your life didn't want you. Well, I've got incredible news for you. The God and creator of the universe wants you. He's making us a people for his possession. And yes, collectively, but also individually. He wants us, but he also wants you. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. I love that. That's so awesome that God wants us, that he wants us that he would pay such a high price, that he would send his son Jesus to make us part of his possession, to be a part of his people. So our identity is found in who he has called us to be, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that, this is what Peter says, all of those things, so that we may proclaim his greatness. It felt so good to sing out loud with other believers tonight and to sing his greatness. And to just sing who he is and how worthy he is of worship. That's exactly what he wants us to do. That's why he has saved us. That's why he's made us this this people, this nation, this group, this priesthood. So that we could declare his praises. Not just amongst each other, though that's extremely important. Don't ever let anybody downplay that. The praises of God's people when we come together in corporate worship are a very important part of living out a life of obedience to Him. That's why it's important as much as we can to get together in person. But also to proclaim His greatness out there. To go beyond the corporate gathering of other believers and to go and let the rest of the world know how great He is. That's who we are. That's our identity. Okay? The Bible says much more about who we are in Christ but this is what we find here in this short passage in First Peter. So Jesus, the cornerstone, our identity is found in who he 's called us to be. So what is our response? Now I go back to verses one through three. okay so I sort of worked back, I, actually, I worked from the middle of this text out, okay, and so I just, it just worked for me. So I hope, hope that I haven 't lost you in how I did that. but I want to go back to verses 1 through 3 in a second, but here's the next thing and the last thing you'll see on your handout. Our response is to rid ourselves of sin and relentlessly pursue Him. So that's our response, to rid ourselves of sin and to relentlessly pursue Him. I already—I know I, I kind of got into, I, I think I already said this, but um, that's what I, I really got excited when I was listening and reading First Peter and thinking about going to this, coming out of Ecclesiastes, is because it's a call to holiness. And in my own personal walk, in my own personal relationship with Christ, and thereby, there, therefore in our church, because I'm, I'm the lead pastor, I emphasize heavily grace and mercy and God's patience with us. And so it's good for me to get deep into a book that says, yes, all those things are true. God's grace is amazing and it is sufficient and we need it every single day. Yet God still calls us to apply his grace to pursue holiness and to pursue being the people that he created us to be. So let's look at verses one through three of our text here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Rid yourself of those. Get rid of them. Don't let them be a part of you. That's that's if you sit and look at that list a little bit. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Granted, those aren't those aren't Words that we use a whole lot to describe the sins that we commonly fall into. But if you start to just dwell on those and think about those, that's a heck of a commandment. The command to rid ourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. That's a tough calling. Nonetheless, here's what God's doing. He's laid this cornerstone Jesus who lived his life perfectly and sinlessly. He's laid him as a cornerstone, and now he's taking us, and he's building us. Just like that cornerstone, we are living stones, and he's building his kingdom, and he's building his church. And what he wants us to do, if we're going to be a part of that building, a part of what he's doing, is he wants us to be holy. He wants us to rid ourselves of things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're, going to be, if we're going to be part of the same building as him, then we need to put effort into becoming like him. It's grace-filled and grace-fueled effort, but effort nonetheless. It's not something that's just going to miraculously happen to you as you haphazardly go through your Christian life. It's something that we are actually called to do to participate in this process of what we call sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So rid ourselves of these things. That's our response, to rid ourselves of sin and to relentlessly pursue him. Verse 2, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's break this down a little bit. Like newborn infants, now the command here is to do this, to, to, this isn't a command to new, newborn Christians. This isn't just for baby Christians, those who have just recently come to faith. It's for all of us. You might, you might have been walking this life for 20, 30, 40, 50 years as a Christian or more. But you are called to become like a newborn infant in your desire for the pure milk of the word. What... What does it look like for a newborn infant to desire milk? Newborn infants have this incredible ability to expend every ounce of their energy to getting milk. That's what they do. That's why they're kind of annoying sometimes. (laughs) They cry, and they wail, and they weep, and they throw their bodies around wanting milk. It's incredible. Peter says, be like that in your desire for the pure milk of the word. Spend all your energy. Act as if you are going to die if you don't get it. That's what newborns do. They act like they're going to die if they don't get it now. When was the last time your pursuit of the Word of God looked like that? It doesn't happen often enough for me, I'll tell you that. So when I hear Peter say, "Like, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word, I know I've got work to do i got to rid myself of sin, yes, but I also need to relentlessly pursue Jesus through His Word. And that's what we all need to do, rid ourselves of sin and relentlessly pursue Him. So that, and this is the desired outcome, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. You will not grow up in salvation without the Word of God. You won't do it. It is the milk that sustains life. Newborns don't do well for very long without milk. Christians don't do long do, don't do well for very long without the word. And you certainly won't grow up into maturity, which is what we're called to do. We need the word of God like newborns need milk. And so we ought to to expend that type of energy into receiving it, into getting into the word. And he says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, which is a reference, which he's referenced several times in this passage, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have done that. So here's what Peter's saying. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I know most of us in here have, and, and if you haven't yet, oh man. Uh, this is an invitation for you to find out how good Jesus really is. Because I can tell you, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. And I am confident in his goodness. I know of his goodness. I've been there. I've experienced it. I've received it. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, rid yourself of sin and relentlessly pursue him. That's what Peter calls us to do. That's what it means to be a stranger on this earth. To not be content living in sin like the rest of the world around us, but to get rid of it, to get it out of our lives and to relentlessly pursue the one whom we have tasted and seen that he is good. And so I want to end by inviting you if you've never tasted his goodness. That just means if you've never experienced his kindness, if you've never experienced how good God is, I just want to encourage you to ask him tonight. Just ask him, Jesus, show me how good you are. Show me how good you are. Let me taste, let me see your goodness. And if you have tasted and seen, join me in following Christ. Let's be more like him. Let's rid ourselves of sin and let's relentlessly Pursue him and let's taste again of his goodness. Let's pray. Jesus, first and foremost, if there's anybody here who they just haven't experienced how good you are, before we leave this campground, would you show them? Would you just undeniably reveal your awesomeness to them? In whatever way they need it right now. God, let your presence be very tangible and real in this place. As we worship you in the next few minutes. And, and Jesus, for those of us who have tasted and have experienced. And we know how good you are. May we not become lazy in pursuing you. And, if, and having become lazy, may we, may we wake up this week. And like newborn infants, crave for you and desire you and pursue you. And in that may you be glorified as you continue to build what what you are building, your kingdom, your church, founded on Jesus and his life and ministry on the earth, his death, his, his resurrection, and the salvation that he's brought to our lives. And now we, living stones like him, who follow after him, you're building us. Continue to build. Continue to build your kingdom and your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.